I remember the time that my gym teacher hit me. That's the day when you could hit kids in school. And my, my dad, we actually came down to the office with the gym teacher and the principal. He was my Uncle Buck. I love that music. Because that's kind of the music I put the Lord to. You know? You know? Don't you love that? That's not what we think, though, is it? We don't put that kind of music when we think of the Lord intervening and rescuing His people. But that's exactly what the Lord did. He stepped into the mess of everybody's life, the craziness of this world, and He laid the truth down. And the truth is, this is my daughter. These are my sons. Right? In Acts chapter 7, we see here that there's an amazing thing that's occurring when Stephen decides to give us this scripture. We're going to take two weeks to tear it apart. And I want, to, I want you to follow with me. And what I want you to do today is I want you to look at this and I want you to try to see, or you won't have to, it's not too much effort. You can see here this theme. There's a lot of themes. But I want you to see the, in here the theme of rescue that is going on as Stephen talks to the Sanhedrin here. Look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges true? And to this he replied, Brothers and fathers, he says, Listen to me, and here we go. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. He goes all the way back to Abraham here. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And leave your country and your people and go, or God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance there, not even a foot of ground. Still talking about Abraham here. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. Even though at that time, Abraham had no child. Who was Abraham married to? Sarah. They didn't have a child. It was by only miraculous intervention that they had a child. Verse 6, God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And remember now, Paul talks to us. We're talking, we're, you know, we're told in the New Testament, we're strangers. Kind of this nomadic people, this nomadic theme starts there. Just another thematic issue there for you. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said. And afterward, they will come out of what, of that country and worship me in this place. And then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision to ratify the promise. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days later after his birth. And later, Isaac became the father of Jacob. Now we're going, we're walking down and we can see here, I've eliminated Jacob out of our little timeline, but we're going from Abraham, we're going to Isaac. We, he doesn't spend a lot of time on Isaac. For those of you that don't know, remember that Isaac was the same son who went to the top of the hill with dad and uh, was, and dad was asked to sacrifice Isaac. And what happened at the very end, at the very end, before Isaac was going to be killed and sacrificed, what happened? Anybody remember? What? God provides the ram to come, right? And go on the altar instead of Isaac. At the very last minute, and remember what the crazy conversation with all that would have been going back down the mountain with your son. Imagine what the conversation would have been going up. Abraham had asked him to kill his son. 
Anyway, good stuff. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him. And later Isaac became the father of Jacob. And Jacob became the father of the 12 patriarchs. And because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, you know, we all now he's, now he's going to launch into Joseph here. They sold him as a slave in Egypt. But look what it says. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. But then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan. Look at all the, look, look what's going on here, okay? This isn't like the way we like life. We don't like life this way, which is, you know, I'm sold into slavery and then I become a ruler and king and then a famine comes. What we want is ruler and king, right? It's, it's important to get that trajectory. Because it's a lot like our lives. Verse 11, Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, and bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. And the irony here is unbelievable. Because when Jacob heard that there was, was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. For those of you that don't know the story of David or, uh, Joseph and his father, please go back and read it. It's a, it's a beautiful story of God's crazy plans and what, how he works with his children. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. And after this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, and 75 in all. Stephen's going into detail here. He's giving it to him. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died, and their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb. Verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, which was, I will give you the land, and I will give you a people, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. And then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. And he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. And here we go. Now we're talking about Moses. And at that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. And when Moses was born, they were killing the babies. And what happened? What happened? You remember the, 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 the movie, right? They placed Moses in the basket. And, uh, and then the, uh, the wife of the king grabs Moses out of the Nile. And now Moses is raised in the king's court. For three months he was cared for in his father's house. And when he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. And when Moses was four years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites and he saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. And Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And the next day, Moses came up to it, came upon two Israelites who were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them. Men, are you brothers? Why are you hurting each other? Verse 27, but the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you ruler and judge over us? And by the way, Moses would become a ruler and deliverer and in many ways a judge over the children of Israel. And in that, you need to understand one of the ways that you need to really get the Moses account is that in the Old Testament, the Christ comes through as what they would, what you would call a shadow of who he really is than in the New Testament. In the New Testament, obviously, he arrives in person. The Old Testament kind of prefigures Christ as a shadow. It's kind of, we, we, we get bits and pieces of him. But Moses would have been the, what you, what you would call the example of Christ. He prefigured Christ in many of his ways. 
So he, Moses was a ruler and deliverer of the children of Israel. The word was given to him. Jesus, ruler and deliverer. The word was given to Jesus too, okay? It's an important thing to be able to get, especially if you're, you're Bible student ninjas. Pushed aside. Who made you ruler and judge? Do you, do, do you want, look, look what happens. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian. There it is, fleeing again. Abraham fled. Joseph had to flee. Where he settled as a foreigner. Apparently God likes this kind of this nomadic thing. And after 40 years had passed. 40 years. Hey, uh, for those of you that are sitting here today, I know that um, you're, you're probably like me in some things. There's some things that really have brought me a lot of pain in my life. I've shared those with you before. Um, and my timeline isn't God's timeline on my pain. And I don't like to say that to you because I, I say it to me. And it It hurts. And, and Moses, I'm sure at this point of his journey was in the state that many of you are in right now, which is this. How could God ever use me? I, after all, I killed a guy. I, I mean, I was, think about this. I was raised in the house of Pharaoh. And I've ruined it all. And after about the fifth year, after about the fifth month for me, I'd be over. It'd be done. Wouldn't it be for you? Forty years. God decides that he's going to be in the woodshed. 40 years. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. And as he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God shows up. God shows up in the middle of his 40-year pain to rescue him, to tell him that he's a son, that he's significant. And Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. In verse 33, then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. And the place where you are standing is holy ground. And I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Of course you do, Lord. You see it. You see our oppression as well. And I have heard their groaning, and you hear ours too. And I have come down to set them free, and you've come down to set ours free too, Lord. Thank you. Now come and I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who I'm sure Moses thought, I am rejected, who made you ruler and king. And then look what it says. He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. I'll stop there. I want you to hear something today that I think is really going to be applicable, hopefully, to your life. It's really this. God rescues. No one else or any other living thing does. God rescues. God rescues. God rescues. 
Philip Yancey said he believes that maybe the central message of the scripture is the fact that God rescues his people and he's not done rescuing. With Abraham, we see a man who had nothing. He was childless without promise. He was stranger in a foreign land. We see grace, God rescues, grace rescues. We see Isaac in a hopeless situation, near-death experience, grace rescues. Joseph dealt treacherously by with his brothers. Moses thought he was probably done and over with, and all of a sudden he's, he's revealed, God reveals to him a burning in, in, in a burning bush. I love it when God says, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people. We don't have a God who slumbers or sleeps, do we, my friend, even though we many times think that he does. The children of Israel, what were they? They were living under the tyranny of slavery. Yet God does what? What does he do? He sends a ruler and a deliverer to these people. Moses himself. Let me tell you what grace does at its core. It rescues. What situation are you in right now, brother, sister, my friends? What situation? Is it bleak? Is it filled with danger? Is it confusing? Is it hurtful? Is it prison? Is it addiction? Is it terrible emotional suffering? Is it past things that have taken place in your life that you you don't think you could ever get beyond? God rescues. Jesus is your deliverer. Nothing else, no other living thing does. What should that tell us? Stop looking around. It sure does tell me that. When the situation is most dire, when all hope is gone, it's almost like this, you guys. It's almost like God wants to set up the story. It's it's almost like God wants to make it dramatic. So it's just, there's, there's no chance. And he comes through. Think about a time in your life where you thought it was no chance and the Lord came through. Let me make sure I give you some hope this morning. The Lord is a rescuer, powerful God who will come through for you in his time. Not my, not my five months. Maybe more like his 40 years. Tough to, tough to hear, huh? It is for me. When everything is unsettled and out of control, when confusion is the only language that we know, God rescues God rescues us even when we walk into prisons of our own making. God rescues. In Colorado, there's about 54, 53 14ers. Mountains that are 14,000 feet and above. And many people climb these mountains as a hobby. I did not all of them by any means, but I tried to do some of them, and I summited on some of them and struggled on many. And uh, But obviously there's some rules, 
And some of the rules are is that you, you need to prepare for the journey. You need to be able to have good boots. You need to have sunscreen. You need to have a hat. You need to have a lot of water. And you need to summit before noon. Because in Colorado, the storms come in at about 1 or 2. And if you're on top of the mountain, at that time, it's not a good situation for you. Like you could die. It's like danger. Right? So one of the things that was always hilarious was when we were coming back down the mountain with almost empty water bottles and seeing people from North Dakota in sandals and cameras. And they'd say, hey, did you guys summit? We said, yeah. And we started at 6 in the morning, didn't summit till like 11, you know. We're going to get up there. And I went, wow. And what do you do in those situations, right? You know, don't do it. You know? But do you know how many alpine rescues go on in Colorado during the summer, June, July, and August? It's absolutely unfathomable. And when those alpine rescuers go up there and they, 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 they find the people that need help, do you know what they don't do? They don't go, well, you didn't prepare. You wore sandals and you didn't bring enough water and you shouldn't brought that camera. We're just going to leave you here. That's what we think God does to us. That's exactly what we think God does to us. Doggone it, I haven't been prepared. I'm not wearing the right shoes. I'm, I'm looking around. I'm doing the wrong things. I haven't done the right things. And so I'm going up on the mountain and all I can do, I'm done. I can't even move a muscle. All I can do is yelp for help and the help comes out like this. Right? Just There's not even a voice. Just... And that's how, and that's what we think. That so we would actually believe that the Lord would show up and say, "Yeah, I've seen your plight. Get down the mountain yourself." What harebrained, stupid kind of person would do what you did? Don't we? I've over-exaggerated, have I? It's really true. What's really true about the Lord is that no matter the, the grace rescues, my friend, is the fact that no matter where you're at, you're, you could be on the mountain. The beautiful thing about grace and our God being a rescuer is that he, he's, he will find you. Right? The ultimate chick flick in the world, last of the Mohicans. Oh, man. Daniel Day-Lewis, long flowing hair, just like mine. And at the end of the movie, he look, you know, he looks at her, Madeline Stowe, and he goes, I've got to, we've got to leave, I've got to depart, because he wasn't gonna, you know, he didn't want to get caught, and he looked at her and he goes, I will find you! You know, all my girls are like, oh no! Right? That's really the Lord. That's what the Lord says to us. I will find you. I will rescue you. I will deliver you. It doesn't matter if you wore the wrong shoes. It doesn't matter if you haven't taken your water. It doesn't matter if you haven't prepared right. That's grace, friend. Graced, grace searches and rescues for sons and daughters. Hey, how many of you today probably need to do what I just said a minute ago, which is this? Help. Is there anybody out there? I say this all to you today 
because I want you to know something. And what I want you to know is that I believe that there is something very wrong inside of us about the way we think about rescue. Some of the things I'm going to say to you right now, I, I don't mean to tell you that to say, say them to you to offend you. I just mean to tell you that this is very real in my life and that we'll trust that the Lord will make it real in your life too. First of all, if the truth will be told, the fact of the matter remains is that we are very self-assured and confident people who know how to get things done. And we don't need to be rescued. Isn't it the truth? Or like the guy who was stranded at sea all alone in his little white boat or little yellow boat, however you want to call it, and all kinds of other boats come by to offer him help, and he says, no, I don't need your help. And as soon as the big ocean liner flashes by, he grabs his paddle all by himself and just, I'll make it. I don't need rescue. This last week I was sitting, uh, we were over at at, uh, Dave Burden's house, and my children were exactly like this, eating a meal. And Hudson, their two-year-old, is that right, two? He's two years old, and he just all, he's full of just life. Just, he is just, right? And these kids get to a certain stage in their lives when they get to be two, where you try to help them, and they look at you and go, I want your help. I can do it, they say. Right? You ever seen these kids? Your mama saw one, trust me, it was you. He was over, you know, he, so I'm trying to help him with his food, and it's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's great going in and out of these kids' lives, you know. It'd be great for my grandkids, you know. So he's he's eating his food. He gets he goes he goes all done, and I okay, and I'm trying to unstrap him. I'm having a terrible time with the straps, way out of practice. And I take him and I put him down. Get this now, I put him down on the ground, and he starts climbing back up into the chair, and I go, because he said I want to get down. He back. He goes, I want to do it. And I look over at Dave and go, and he goes, let him do it. (laughs) Right. That's me. That's me. I'm Hudson. Why would I need to be rescued? I can, I can do it. I, I don't need a supernatural power. I, I don't need anything outside of myself. I, I can come up with the answer. I can, I can do it. No matter what it is. No matter what situation it's in. I can, I can handle it. I can do it. See, do you know what one of the darkest things is about me, and maybe it is true for you, is that I believe that I'm going to rescue me from me. I'm going to rescue me from me. I've got issues. You've got issues, whatever they may be. And how I see rescue is I don't see my Lord, my cross-bearer, the God of Israel, the ruler and king of glory being my rescuer. I see me on that cross. I see me over my life. Do you? Because I'm going to conjure up some plan that's going to help me with my addictions, or I'm going to conjure up my, you know, or my massive need to be loved, or my, or my selfishness. I'm going to work harder at my marriage. I'll go talk to the pastor. I'll do this. Fill in the blank of all the things that come back to saying, we're going to create the plan for rescue. How about my Lord? How about your Lord, my brother? My sister, what would it look like for you to seek out the Lord as your rescuer and your deliverer from whatever it is this week? I mean it. 
I'm speaking really plainly with you this morning. I want you to think about this. I and this place is not your rescuer. It's impossible to think like that. It's not biblical. We're too messy. These us, us all here. We we don't we can't we can't provide all of your rescue expectations. We're going to fail you. And then when we fail you, you'll go on the cycle again to go to the next place that says, I'm going to go find that next rescue people. If I can get the right search and rescue team around me, then I can somehow finally, finally get that word. I can finally have a good life. I can finally live a life without pain. Let me just make sure you understand something. Finally is never true with human beings. Finally is true with the God of the scriptures, who is our deliverer. That's the truth. The greatest thing, I think, in conclusion that all of us can do as we think about this whole deal is how we can lay down our expectations on church and others and my wife and my boyfriend and my girlfriend and my friends in my koinonia group or my friends in my life group or how we can lay it down and we can say, finally, the Lord, how do we unlock this truth that the Lord is our rescuer. Jesus Christ is our ruler and and deliverer, and I find myself living my life a lot like the children of Israel. God's rescue plan is grace through faith in Jesus. Let me say this to you. This is interesting. This guy says this week. This is a quote. It's got to be more complicated than that, though, doesn't it? We think, where's the catch? We rebel against the notion that grace is our only means to victory because all that grace asks of us is that we trust Jesus. There's got to be a catch. We think that it somehow must be dependent on me. We cannot accept or believe that things might be easier than they appear. There are no rules. There's no rituals. There's no requirements. There's no secret codes or some special knowledge and need to unlock. Receive this this morning in closing. If you need to receive it and close your eyes to receive it, receive it because I sure do need to receive it. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forever. Amen.